Mark 10, verse 46. Let's pray. So we're just, most of you know this, we're just coming through the book of Mark. So we're continuing on through the book of Mark. And we landed at this story of blind Bartimaeus. Let's pray before we move into it. Father, thank you so much for this time coming up in your word. God, help us. We want, we want to see you exalted as you are. We want, to, we want to catch your compassion and your mercy and your love. And You're the eternal King. We want to see you in this light. Thank you, Lord, for your, your powerful word that does this in our hearts. God, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your word. And God, as we see you, I pray that you would humble us, Lord, and you'd make us, you'd bring us low before you, God. Change us, Lord, through, through these awesome words now. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me just kind of give some background before we read this passage. We're going to be in verses 46 to 52 of Mark chapter 10. Here's uh, just a little bit of background. So uh, a few weeks back, if you remember uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16, uh, Dustin taught on this. I believe we were at the reservoir at the time, actually. And this was about uh, Jesus uh, teaching us how to approach Him, okay? He says, come to Him like little children, helpless. Come to Him like little children, dependent, helpless, Humble like a little child. And we learned that back in chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. And this is what he said. He says, you know, if you don't, if you don't come to Christ like a child in this way, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this is, what we, this is the push we got in those verses. Well, ever, ever since that time, we've been given these examples, and every one of them is a bad example. In other words, we were told, here's how you come to Jesus, and then we give, we're given two back-to-back examples of the last couple of weeks of bad examples of the way people come to Christ. For example, right after, that, right after we're pushed to come to Jesus like a child, right after that, we, we get this story of the rich young ruler. And he comes and he gives us an example that there is a way to come to Christ, and you even want eternal life, and yet you walk away and you don't have it. He came to Christ not like a child. He came in the wrong way. And then last week, in the next story, as you keep coming through Mark 10, you see uh, Dustin told us last week that that, uh, even the disciples came, James and John. They come to Jesus, but they come in the wrong manner. They don't approach Christ right, and they get corrected for this action. But then today, we come to a good example. Finally, a good example of blind Bartimaeus coming to Jesus in the right way, humble like a child. And as you look at Jesus' response, and we'll see that today, and we're about to read it, as you see Jesus' response to this man who comes to Him like a child, it'll, it'll, just, it'll make your heart leap out of your chest. It's awesome. Okay, So let's read this now. Verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. As He went out of Jericho with His disciples and a great multitude... Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. 
Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Alright, so we're going to walk through this passage of Christ's interaction with blind Bartimaeus. So let's, let's go back to the very beginning, verse 46. Now you'll notice on this study guide that I've given you, I'll give you the verse that we're on. We're just going to walk through it phrase by phrase. And the phrase that we're on, you'll see it in bold and italicized, okay? So first, first thing here in verse 46, it says, Now they came to Jericho, period, they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho. So we don't get much information from Mark about what happened in Jericho. We just see they came to Jericho and then they went out of Jericho. Now, now here's what's going on. They're headed to Jerusalem. He's headed to His cross. He's been talking about this for the last three chapters that Jesus and His disciples are headed to Jerusalem. He's about to head straight to His cross. And on the way to Jerusalem, one of the towns, one of the cities that's on the way there is Jericho. And this Jericho... This is where they land. This is about a six-hour walk from Jerusalem, and it's uphill. It's an ascent. They're going up to Jerusalem, about a six-hour walk out of Jericho. Now, you know, they're not in Jericho very long. We see that. Mark doesn't tell us what goes down, but we do know something that happens in between these two sentences. He says they came to Jericho, period, and then as they went out of Jericho, what do we know that happened in between those two sentences? Well, if if you read the Gospel of Mark, Particularly, uh, excuse me, the Gospel of Luke, particularly Luke 19, verse 1 through 10, you see that this is where he bumped into Zacchaeus. So Jesus bumps into Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus in Jericho. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector who sought Jesus and eventually he was saved. Okay? So this is awesome. What we get in Jericho is we get two salvation stories. We get Zacchaeus, as Luke records it. And as he's coming out, as he's coming out of Jericho, we get the story of this blind beggar who is saved. Two salvation stories. And, and really, there's not another salvation story. So we're about to enter into Mark 11. And Mark 11 through 16 is the last week of Jesus' life before he's crucified. It's a lot of chapters devoted to that week, okay? And, and what we're going to see is, is we don't have anybody really recorded, no more salvation stories until you get that thief on the cross. And this is beautiful, okay? We, we should cherish, I mean cherish, these salvation stories in the Bible. We should cherish these stories. And you think about it, the last few weeks, he's in Jericho, he's about to head into the last week of his life before he's crucified into, into Jerusalem, and these last few weeks before Jesus' life, he yanks three souls, three people into eternity, into his eternal kingdom. And who is it? You got Zacchaeus, this crooked, rich tax collector, You've got Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, and you have a condemned thief who is very dangerously close to death. And these ought ought to blow up our hearts and go, man, Christ is saving these people and He's headed to the cross to die for their sins. And He's just yanking these people into eternity. Now it says, they came to Jericho and as they came out of Jericho, next phrase says, with His disciples and a great multitude. So he's coming out of Jericho, six-hour walk to Jerusalem, with his disciples and with a great multitude. Now we know what Jesus is doing with his disciples, right? 
He's been talking to his disciples the whole way. He tells them in chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. What does he say? He says, we're going to Jerusalem and there they're going to mock me and spit on me and they're going to scourge me and they're going to kill me and the third day I'm going to rise again. And he's been telling this the whole way. He's headed to Jerusalem to his cross. So we know why Jesus and his disciples are there. But what about these great multitudes? Why are these great multitudes around Jesus and even heading with Him to Jerusalem. Why are these great multitudes coming out of Jericho headed to Jerusalem with Him? And let me give you two main reasons. One, the great feast of the Passover is, is near, right? In chapter 11, He's going to enter into Jerusalem, this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that's going to mark the last week of His life where He's crucified and He's headed toward the Passover. And what happens at the Passover with Jews? These people take these pilgrimages, okay? And they're, they're about a bunch of people from, from outside of Jerusalem are going to pilgrimage into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast of the Passover, okay? So, for example, let me give you a verse. John eleven fifty five 55 says, And the Passover of the Jews was near. It's John eleven fifty five. 55. The Passover of the Jews was near. And many... Went, went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So what you see is this multitudes of people coming up from outside of Jerusalem, and, and as they get closer to Jerusalem, they begin to bottleneck into different cities. Well, Jericho is one of these cities, and you've got these multitudes there headed into Jerusalem with Jesus for the Passover. So that's one reason why there's great multitudes. Second reason why there's great multitudes Jesus is very famous at this point, right? Not only these multitudes headed into Jerusalem, but they're going with the famous Jesus. The one who many of them, many of them believe him to be the Messiah of the Old Testament. And if you read, if you read Luke 19, right after the story of Zacchaeus and Jericho, 19, Luke 19 verse 11 says this, they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. This is exciting times, Right? So you got these people headed in to the Passover, headed into Jerusalem. And not only that, that they think that they're going with the Messiah, and they are, but they think wrongly that the kingdom's going to be established immediately. And here they go, excited, headed in to Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? Can you picture the excitement? Can you picture the frenzy? Great multitudes of people. Behind Jesus, with Jesus, He's the central focal point of their conversation headed in to Jerusalem. Next phrase in that verse says, blind Bartimaeus. So right in the midst of all this commotion, all this headed towards Jerusalem, it says, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. So now we get introduced to a pitiful creature. Blind Bartimaeus. He's a beggar. He's sitting by the roadside begging for people to help him. He's not lazy. He's just blind. He can't fend for himself. He can't, he can't provide for himself. And so he's a beggar by the roadside. And Bartimaeus begins to hear this great commotion. Okay, If you read the account over in Matthew, this same story, the parallel account, he begins to hear this great commotion. He looks at someone. He says, what's happening? What's this all about? What's this great noise I hear of these people coming out of Jericho? And somebody looks at him and says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. It's Jesus of of Nazareth. Now, how would this blind beggar respond? He just hears it. Jesus of Nazareth is stirring up a commotion of people come out of Jericho, headed to Jerusalem. How will he respond? Look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, 
He began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. So try to picture this. An insignificant beggar begging on the side of the road. Multitudes around Jesus. He's headed for Jerusalem. Multitudes that believe He's the Messiah that's about to establish His kingdom. And does this insignificant beggar really think that he's going to gain an audience with the king? Does he really think he could gain an audience with the king who's headed into Jerusalem to establish his kingdom? The word there that it says he cried out, that's a very strong word. He cried out. This means desperation is in his heart. There's some force here. He's crying out loud to get over the noise of the crowds. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out over the crowds. Then, you get to verse 48. Read it with me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Stop there. Many people begin to warn this man to be quiet. To shut it. Be quiet. The ESV says many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The NAS says many were sternly telling him to be quiet. So this man, this man's stirring up a scene trying to get Jesus' attention, right? He's stirring up a ruckus. He's, he's trying to get Christ's attention. And I want to highlight a word for you. Many. Many right there in that verse. Many people came against him. Many people would rather him just sit there and be quiet and don't say a word. Many people had come against him. They think it's embarrassing. This great rabbi has come to our town and here's this beggar screaming at him. It's embarrassing. Or they think it's annoying. We're trying to hear. Maybe he'll teach something we can't hear over you. It's annoying. Or maybe they think it's hopeless. You really think that you're going to gain audience with the king? This is a hopeless pursuit. He gets zero sympathy from the crowd of people that are around him. They just want him to shut up. So what does he do? Keep going in that verse. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So what does he do? He just gets louder. He's got to get over the noise of the people around him. He just gets louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's got to get over the noise of the people that are rebuking. Son of David, have mercy on me. And not only louder, but he gets more frequent. He says it over and over again. Son of David, he just called out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying out. This is an amazing example to us of strong faith. Strong faith. You remember a few chapters earlier, the Syrophoenician lady, you remember her? She came to Jesus and she's asking him, he's asking him, pleading with him. And even when it seems like he's not listening, she keeps pleading with him. And then even when the disciples say, Jesus, please send this lady away, she just keeps on pleading with him over and over and over again. And finally, Jesus looks at this woman and says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. This is a great example of faith does. He doesn't care if it's embarrassing. He keeps crying out to Jesus. He doesn't care if it's annoying. He keeps crying out to Jesus. And even if it seems hopeless, he keeps crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. This is what faith looks like. It's the persistent widow that goes to the judge over and over again with persistent pleas. 
It's the woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years and she realizes that she's helpless and that she can do nothing, but she realizes she can get to Christ. It's all done. So she busts through the crowds and crowds of people. And she keeps saying to herself, if only I can touch Him, I'll be made well. If only I can touch Him. This is faith. It's praying John Hyde. You ever heard of him? Praying John Hyde sparked a revival in Salcott, India. He, he sparks this revival and he's known for crying out over and over and over again, oh God, give me souls or I die. Just keeps crying out. I want you to notice a few things. You got this blind beggar with this, good, this great example to us of strong faith persistently coming to the Lord over and over again. I want you to notice some things that he believed about Jesus. Notice that he cried out to Jesus, Son of David! Son of David! This means that he believed Jesus to to be the Christ. He believed Jesus to be the Messiah. The one that was promised in the Old Testament to come through the lineage of David. He knew that he's the one. So he calls him Son of David. He believed this about Christ. Now, where did he get this information? Where did this blind man get this information that... That, this, that he's a son of David. Where, do he, where does he even hear about the son of David? That there's one coming from the lineage of David. How does he know that? Let me give you a promise from the Old Testament. Surely he knew this. First Chronicles 17, verse 11. Listen to it. It shall be... This is God speaking to David. It shall be when your days are fulfilled when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be one of, he'll be of your, own, of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house. I will establish his throne forever. David, there's coming one. He's your seed, and he's going to have a throne that's established forever. I will be his father. And he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Did you catch it? There's coming one from David, and here's this blind beggar. Son of David! He's the one. He believed that he's the one. He's the eternal king. He's the Messiah. And this blind beggar believes that. Now surely he knew of this one, but this this was just the first promise. This was just where it began, where David received a promise that there was coming one through his lineage that would be king forever. But this is a theme that begins to run through the whole rest of the Old Testament. For example, Psalm 89. It's a song about God's faithfulness and how God is going to fulfill His promise to raise up a seed of David. Listen to Psalm 89.3. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. As you keep going through that song, listen to verse 35. I will not lie to David, says God. His seed shall endure forever in his throne as a son before me. This was a theme all through the Old Testament. You see it all in the prophets. Every major prophet spoke of this coming one that's coming through the line of David. Listen to Isaiah. Isaiah 9.6. It talks about a child that's going to be born into the world and he's going to be called Mighty God. And listen to what it says about him. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time even forever. Forever, he says. 
Jeremiah spoke of this coming one. Listen to Jeremiah 33. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day, or you can break my covenant with a night so that day and night won't come at their appointed time, then you can break my covenant with my servant David. In other words, there's one coming through David. And you can't stop the sun, you can't stop the moon, therefore you can't break this promise. Listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. David, my servant. Now this is in the time of the kings. David is long gone. And listen to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel says, David... My servant shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. My servant David shall be their prince forever. So here's this blind beggar, and he's calling out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. He believes him to be this eternal king that has come. He is the Messiah. He is the one that all the prophets spoke of. So what does he know about Christ? He knows him to be the son of David. What else? He knows Jesus to be merciful. This faith in this man, he believes Jesus to be merciful. Okay, You see that because he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here's how A.W. Tozer defined mercy. He said this, Mercy is the goodness of God confronting human suffering and guilt. And this blind beggar sees Jesus in this sort of light. He's just full of the goodness of God on human suffering. He's full of the goodness of God on guilt. This is my Lord. He's merciful, the Son of David. Now how would he know this? How would he know this? How, how would this blind beggar know this about Jesus? Well, there can be, he may have picked it up from the Old Testament that the Christ would be merciful and He would heal the blind. He would do many things. Or maybe he just heard about it through Jesus' life, Right? Maybe he heard about the the leper back in Galilee that came to Jesus. Nobody else would touch this leper, yet he comes to Jesus and Jesus reaches out his hand full of compassion and touches him and heals the man. Or maybe maybe he hears about Jesus. He, He was full of compassion toward the multitudes who were hungry and he feeds them miraculously. Or maybe he remembers because just recently Jesus, in the timeline of the events here, just recently Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Maybe... Maybe he knew, maybe he heard because the the news was going everywhere that Christ had wept over the death of Lazarus. Maybe he remembers that. Maybe he knows about that. And therefore he knows this one as merciful. And so here you see the blind beggar leaning in in faith to the son of David. He's leaning in in faith. He's leaning in on the mercy, the mercy of Jesus, the mercy of the son of David. And so how's Jesus going to respond? Look at verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. He stood still. Now this is amazing, okay? This is awesome. Jesus comes to a screeching halt. He he stops. You say, why is that so amazing? Try to think about the scene for just a minute, okay? Jesus has multitudes of people with Him. Behind Him and with Him, headed to Jerusalem. And they're hyped up. He's, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the Messiah is going to establish His kingdom. And man, they are hyped up. These crowds of people excited. And not, not only with Him, but even in Jerusalem. You can read the other accounts like in John 11 and John 12. And even in Jerusalem, there's crowds of people waiting for Him. They're waiting for Him. And when He goes into Jerusalem, they're going to come out. And it's this time of triumphal entry where a bunch of people begin to sing, Hosanna! Hosanna! He's come in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. 
So you got all this, this crowd of people with him, multitudes, great multitudes that are waiting for him, not to mention Jesus is on a determined death march to get to the cross. He's not lallygagging. He's not taking it easy. He's not going with the flow. It says he set his face to get to Jerusalem. He's headed that way. He's leading the pack. And right in the middle of all this, he stops. Right in the middle of all this, he hears this pitiful voice of a beggar saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Son of God stops. The voice of a pitiful beggar stopped Jesus in his tracks. That's awesome, right? It's awesome. He looks at the insignificant beggar and calls him to come to him. Listen to this verse. Proverbs 21, verse 13. Whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. We do that. We shut our ears to the cry of the poor, not Jesus. Do you see it? Listen to this verse, Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. That's what Jesus is doing right here. Listen to this verse, Psalm 116, 1. I love the Lord. Why? I love the Lord. Why? Because He's heard my voice and my supplications. Because He's inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him as long as I live. Don't you love Jesus for this? Multitudes of people. It's like a, it's like a just mass hysteria. A holy mass hysteria going on. And Jesus stops right in the middle of it. All the crowds stop with Him. And He listens to this voice. This blind beggar. Jesus is not like those religious men who passed by. Remember, they saw that man who was half dead in the road and they just passed right by him. He's not like those men. Jesus is the good Samaritan who looks on with compassion and loves this man. And after Jesus commanded the beggar to be called, it says in verse 49, then they called the blind man, saying to him, be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you. Now I love this. I love it that Jesus took the same crowds that were just ridiculing Him and trying to shut Him up and He made those crowds call Him. Say, tell Him to come on. Tell Him to come up here. This would have been wonderful, wonderful news for this beggar. He's, he's been crying out desperately and all he's been hearing are these rebukes coming at Him. And now he sees that the crowd changes their tune and they say, take heart. Stand up. Jesus is calling you. Reminds me of an old hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity and love and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms because in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. And that's exactly what He does. He arises and goes to His Savior. Look at verse 50. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. ESV says, throwing aside his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. NAS says, laying aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. This would have been an awesome scene. Could you imagine this scene? Here's this poor beggar sitting. He's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over again. And suddenly he hears that the one that he's calling out to says, come on. And he jumps up 
And he's got this cloak on. He just throws it to the side. He just gets rid of everything that hinders him. And he jumps up. He springs up and comes to Christ desperately. He comes to Christ in a hurry. Can you see the scene there? He's blind. He can't see him. He's following that beautiful voice. i got to find him. Could you see him tripping up? Could you see him bumping into people? Eventually somebody maybe takes him by the hand and takes him to Christ. But he gets there. He gets to the Savior. The fact that he threw aside his garment means something to me. He threw aside his garment. And this time a cloak, a garment, meant something to these people. Okay, Think about it. At Jesus' crucifixion, they took his garments, they took his cloak, they divided them among everyone, and then they cast lots. They cast lots for his clothing. That's, they didn't just throw them away. Why? Because they had value. These garments meant something. These cloaks meant something. And especially to a poor, blind beggar. If anyone doesn't want to lose his coat, his cloak, it's his poor, blind beggar. And yet, what does he do? He throws it aside. What a contrast to the rich young ruler. Remember that? Rich young ruler had these riches and he wouldn't let go of them. Jesus said, go, here's what you have to do to have eternal life. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And yet he looks at his riches and he will not let go of them. And he walks away from Jesus to eternity in hell. What a contrast because here's this man, this poor blind beggar. He's got this cloak and he springs up and he throws that thing off and comes to Christ. Exactly what we're commanded to do. Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and run with endurance to race it before you looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. What happens next? The blind man gets to Jesus and then what happens? Look at verse 51. So Jesus answered and said, and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I love this. Jesus looked at this beggar who's been begging on the side of the street and says, what do you want me to do for you? What a servant Christ is. What a servant. He's just been teaching his disciples in the verses before where we're reading right now. Dustin taught them last week. He's just been teaching them what? That greatness, you want to be great? Be a slave of all. Be a servant. And now we get the example. And Christ lowers Himself and says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus just said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And here we see an example of Jesus getting low and serving them. Now, if you're reading straight through, so what did Jesus ask Him? He said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you're reading straight through Mark chapter 10, you realize it's not the first time he asked that question. Okay, It's not the first time he asked that question. Here he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus said the same thing, the exact same question to James and John in chapter 10, verse 36. Remember that? James and John come to him. He said, Jesus, you do whatever we ask of you. He said, he said, what do you want me to do for you? You can read them. The exact same question to James and John as was posed to this blind beggar. And what's, it's very it's a contrast. Okay, what's Mark trying to do? Mark wants us to see how to approach Christ. You've got the same question posed to both, but you have two very different approaches to Christ, and he wants us to see it. So let's make the comparison. James and John, who came before Jesus, compared with this blind beggar who approached Jesus. Think about it. If you remember the story from last week, James and John wanted glory for themselves, and all this beggar wanted was help. James and John approached Jesus with pride, but the blind beggar came with humility. 
James and John treated Jesus like a means to an end, their own self-exaltation. And yet this blind beggar treated Jesus as He was the end in and of itself. He said, you son of David. James and John went with unbelieving self-confidence. Remember what they said? They said, we are able. We are able. Unbelieving self-confidence. And yet this beggar goes with, with full of faith, zero confidence in himself and says, have mercy. Have mercy. And lastly, James and John were finally denied their request and corrected by Jesus. But you see this blind beggar, his request is answered and his faith is commended. How do you approach Jesus? May we be those who approach Jesus. We come to Jesus like a child, right? We come to Him helpless. We come to Him desperate. We come, we come to Him dependent. We come to Him humble like a child. May we be those who do that. May we be those who come to Him like this blind beggar. Now, how will Bartimaeus respond to Jesus' question? Because remember, Bartimaeus just said, have mercy on me. And Jesus wants him to get more specific. He says, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? So how will he, how will he answer? Look at the next phrase. The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. He wants his sight. He can't see anything. And he says, Jesus, that I might receive my sight. Now, first he calls him Rabboni. Now, that word means Lord. It means maker. I mean, excuse me, master, Lord and master. This gives us some insight into the way he viewed Jesus again. He views him as Lord. He views him as master. He views him as Rabboni. Okay, the only other time this word is used in the New Testament is when Mary Magdalene sees the resurrected Jesus and she says for the first time, Rabboni. She, he saw him as the son of David, the merciful one, and Rabboni, the Lord and the master. Now, the blind man answers Jesus that I might receive my sight. What can I do for you? What, what do you want me to do for you? He says that I might receive my sight. Now, how do you think Jesus, how do you think Jesus thought about this request? How do you think he felt toward this blind man asking him to receive his sight? He's just heard that faint faith, that voice full of faith. Son of David, have mercy on me. And he, he gets him to himself. He says, what can I do for you? He says, he says, Lord, Master, that I'll receive my sight. What do you think Jesus thinks about him? Jesus loves this man. And Jesus cares for this man's soul. And He cares for this man's physical body. He cares for a poor, insignificant, blind beggar like Bartimaeus. He cares for him. He loves him. And here's something awesome. Jesus wants to heal this man's blindness. That's just pure compassion. Pure mercy. He's not bound to this. You realize that, right? Jesus is not in handcuffs just to answer our every beck and call. He doesn't have to do this. Sometimes with love and compassion, He withholds healing the blind. Fanny Crosby, for example, said if she could, she said, if I could receive my sight, if I had a chance, I wouldn't want it. She was convinced God gave it to her so she'd be less interested in herself and more in Christ. But here we see Jesus, sovereign, compassionate, merciful, and He wants to heal this man. And look at verse 52. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, blindness gone. He sees. 2020. 
immediately. Now, if you read the account over in Matthew 20, it adds a few things. It says that Jesus was full of compassion and he reached out and he touched the man's eye. Can you picture it? Here's this man. Have mercy on me, son of David. And he feels this touch on his eye. Now, most people believe that he was cursed, right? Most people in this time, these Jews believe that he was cursed because he was blind. Remember in John 9, the disciples even asked Jesus, they looked at a blind man and said, is he blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? And here's Jesus reaches out with compassion, full of compassion. And this man feels a touch on his eye. And he says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he receives his sight. Now, Jesus, Jesus points to this man's faith as the agent through which he connected with Jesus's power and his compassion, his mercy. And in this beggar, we see an awesome example I'll say it again. We see an awesome example of faith in Christ. Think about it. We see somebody thinking about faith in Christ here, this connection to Christ, his connection. Your faith has made you well. Think about faith in Christ with me for a minute. Faith in Christ. This man had the right object of his faith, right? It's everything about the object. What's the object of your faith? The object of his faith was Christ Jesus himself. He knew him to be the son of David. He knew him to be Rabboni. He knew him to be merciful and Lord and master. That's who he knew him to be, the right object of his faith. He had that down. He couldn't see with his eyes, but his heart looked to Jesus with confidence in him, trust in him. This is faith. Faith cries out with persistence to Christ. Faith perseveres through the doubting of others and the rebukes of others. Faith throws aside everything that hinders and springs up at the beckoning of Jesus. Faith is not a work itself. Faith is not a work in and of itself. This man, in other words, this man did not earn his healing. He didn't earn his healing. When Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well, this does not mean that this man earned his healing. Remember, he cried out for what? Mercy, not justice. He cried out, I need help, not give me my due. You see the difference? John Stam described faith, faith like this. It's just the hand reached out to partake of God's faithfulness. J.C. Ryle said it was like the hand that brings the living water to your lips. And this man had it. This blind man had faith. And what was the result? The next phrase, the last phrase says, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Immediately he received his sight. Can you wrap your brain around this? Can you, can you think about this for a minute? He sees nothing. And then boom, he sees everything. He doesn't, he doesn't see faces. He doesn't see the sky. He doesn't see trees. He doesn't see anything. He doesn't see his best friends. He can't see them. And then suddenly he sees it all. And then what's the first face that he sees? <laughs> he sees the Savior. He sees Jesus. first face he sees, he sees the face of the Almighty made flesh. He sees the face of the Son of David, the Christ. He sees Him. His first glance. And so what does he do? Does the blind man think, okay, I got all these things I've been wanting to see for years, and he just goes sightseeing. All of a sudden, I got to see, you know, that person who's my friend, never seen him before. I want to go see him. I want to go see this and that and this and that. Is that what he does? Nope. It says he followed Jesus on the road. The account in Luke says he followed Jesus, glorifying 
God. All he wanted to do is stay by Jesus' side. I just want to stay right here. He follows him to Jerusalem. He just follows him up to Jerusalem. Most people believe, most, you, know, you read the commentaries, most of them believe that this man went on to be a very well-known follower of Jesus, a faithful follower of Jesus. And that's the reason we're given his name here. Most of the healing miracles that happen in Mark, I don't think any of them, you're actually given the person's name. But here we're given his name. It's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. You know him. He just wants to be with Jesus. This is what's happened. This is what happens, right? When people come to Jesus in genuine faith, this is what they want to do. They just want to be with Christ. <laughs> They're not forced. I just want to be with Jesus. I don't want to leave his side. The people in Jerusalem are thinking, who's that homeless guy walking with Jesus? And he's just right there by his side. Let me give a takeaway. Just one thing, takeaway. Just one sentence for a takeaway. See Jesus as Bartimaeus saw Jesus and come to Jesus like Bartimaeus came to Jesus. See Him like the beggar saw Him. How did He see Him? He's the Son of David. He's the eternal King. He's the merciful one. He's the compassionate one. See Him like that. Believe it. That's who He is. And then come to Him like this blind beggar. How did He come to Him? Helpless. Desperate. Dependent on Him. Full of faith, trust, confidence in Jesus. Come to Him like that. See Jesus as Bartimaeus saw Him and come to Jesus like Bartimaeus came to Jesus. Now what does this mean for anyone who's here who does, has not yet come to Christ? What does it mean for you? I mean everyone. Adults, children. Any person here who has not yet come to Christ, what does it mean to you for you to see Jesus, like He saw Him, and to come to Him like Jesus. What does it mean for you if you're lost here? What does it mean if you haven't yet come to Christ? What does it mean for you? And I'm convinced, by the way, that this this story goes deeper than just physical healing. This is meant to be a picture to us of eternal salvation. In fact, I'll give you three reasons why I think that. One, the word that says, your faith has made you well, made you well is a Greek word, sozo, and it literally means saved. It was used earlier in the same chapter when the disciple says, who then can be saved? That's one reason. Second reason, this man didn't just get healed of his blindness and go see the sights. He became a follower of Christ. This is about eternal salvation. Third reason, John MacArthur said it. And you know he's the man. <laughs> just kidding. He, he said, there, this, this is more than a healing. It is a model of pre-cross conversion. So think about this. Since this is a picture of eternal salvation for us all, I want to speak directly to those here, children, adults, who have not yet come to Christ. You know it. You know it. What do you do with this? Listen to this verse. Let me tell you something about yourself. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, what would that look like? What would, what would the, you hear the preaching of the gospel. You know it. You heard the preaching of the gospel. What would it look like for it to be veiled? It's not, that, it's not that you just don't get the details. That's not it, right? It's not treasure to you. You don't, it doesn't mean anything to you. You don't hear the gospel and it brings joy to your heart. It's veiled to you. Listen, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Perishing. It means they're moving toward eternal death and they're going to eventually land in eternity in hell. They're perishing. Listen, 
whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Just like this blind beggar. That's where he puts you. Every person here who hasn't yet come to Christ, he puts you right here, blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, should shine on them. Blinded. So this is where you stand, blinded. Spiritually blind before God. And what does God do through the preaching of His Word? Through the preaching of His Word, He opens people's minds. He opens their spiritual eyes to see. And all of a sudden, they see Christ as glorious. All of a sudden, they see this Gospel that Christ Jesus died for their sins and risen from the grave. And it means something to them. All of a sudden, have your eyes been opened? Have your eyes been opened? Could it be that even now, God's drawing you in? As we look at Christ in the Word, that He's drawing you in to open your eyes. Jesus is your only hope. Without Christ Jesus, you look for eternal life blindly. You're blind. But with Jesus, Jesus the one who put Himself under your punishment. You were supposed to be punished when He put Himself under it for you in your place. And He died for your sins. He demonstrates His love for you. And that while you're a sinner, He died. He's risen from the dead. And you must come to Him. You must come to Him like Bartimaeus. Come to the Jesus just described to you. Come to Him. Come to Him desperate. You need Him. You need Him for salvation. You come to Him helpless, realizing that you cannot save yourself. Come to Him full of faith because you can trust Him. And listen to this promise. Listen to this promise. John 6.37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He laid down his life for you and he says, everyone who comes to me, I will never cast them out. Come you sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity and love and power. So here's the, here's the application. Okay, Here's the takeaway. Same thing. Come to Jesus. Now think, think about how, how does it apply to you who are already disciples of Jesus? How does it apply to you? Come to Jesus. See see Christ like this beggar saw Christ and come to Christ like this beggar came to Christ. How does it apply to you who are already disciples? You who are already saved? How does it apply to us? It means we, we don't... What do you stop coming this way? No, you keep coming to Jesus in this same posture. You just keep coming to Him this way. What, what better do you have to do? What, what, what else you got to do? But come to Christ. This is a... This is the very basic of you following Jesus. You come to Him, you follow Him. You come to Him, you follow Him. You come to Him, you follow Him. This is about Him. And over and over again, you come to Him and you follow Him. That's how it applies to you. Never stop coming to Jesus like this. Christ is is all. Never leave Him. He'll never leave or forsake you. You never depart from Him. You say, I read the Word because I want more of this one. I pray. I get in a secret place and pray because I want more of this one. I meet with the body of Christ because I want more of Jesus. And you just keep going in that direction. Just like this blind beggar. Keep coming to Him helpless and desperate. Saying things like this. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus said apart from Him, Christian, 
Apart from Him, you can do nothing. You need Him. Son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing in my... You keep doing... This is not just a salvation thing. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. Naked, come to Thee for dress. Helpless, come to Thee for grace. You just keep doing that. You never stop doing that. You keep coming full of faith and trust in Him. Listen, you can trust Him. Listen to His promise. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Listen to another promise. You can trust Him. Listen, fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hear another one from the lips of Jesus. I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. And then guess what's going to happen one day? You're going to die. And your eyes will close. And they're going to close And then you're going to wake. Awaken. Your eyes are going to open. And guess what face you see? Just like the blind beggar, you see Christ. Fire in His eyes. Sword in His hand. You see Christ. You see Him. And you love it. Let me end with this word from a hymn. Someday the silver cord will break and no more as now shall I sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Let's pray. Father, help us to come to you, to believe you, trust you, Lord, just as this beggar did. And teach us, God, to come to you. God, you over and over and over again in your word over the last several weeks have been teaching us about humility. God, I praise you for it. And God, you know we need it. God, I pray you destroy our pride. Kill our arrogance, Lord. God, just destroy our pursuit of self, of self-exaltation, Lord. And I pray that you alone would stand in our hearts as ruler, as king, as treasure, as joy. God, raise up a people who come to You humbly like this beggar and who love You and who follow You, God. Raise it up in us, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for the promise that now we see dimly, but one day we'll get to see You face to face. Thank You, Lord. Amen.